Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Well, I'm thankful to be back at Covenant East. I was with us one and a half years ago and we were at Changi Business Park. So since time has passed and now we're at Suntec, uh, I'm trusting that there are many new guests, new members, new visitors with us. So do allow me to share briefly about myself. Uh, I'm very happily married with one wife of 28 years, Peng, and uh, we have three young adult sons, 26, 22 and 19. This is my 31st year in Covenant EFC. This is my first church. I'm so thankful to God. And over the 25 years here, uh, I've served as a lay leader and by God's grace now a pastor. Uh, as I oversee the men's ministry, men in Covenant, uh, I now know various ones at Covenant East, starting with the brothers and over time their girlfriends who became wives. Other key ministries that I serve in, uh, I'm a district pastor overseeing cell groups and also privileged to chair a local men's ministry network. So that's me in brief. I really hope to have the opportunity to get to know more of us better. Now, as we begin this morning, I wonder how many of us are increasingly feeling that we live in trouble and uncertain times. I suspect many of us do geopolitical tensions, rising inflation, choppy financial markets, business downturns, economic slowdowns, and job uncertainties loom. Some of us wonder why evil is increasingly rampant and seemingly triumphant. Others wonder if AI will rule the world with all this chat GBT stuff coming along. Still others are going through personally really difficult times. They are suffering from relational issues, illnesses, terrible bosses, parents, elders, and authorities in their lives. Perhaps, as good Christians, we often don't express a very primal question that we have in our hearts during such times. And the question is this, is God still on the throne? Is he still completely sovereign and in charge? Regarding this question, I hope God's word will minister to us this morning and invite us to bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, O God, for your word. Your word is living, it is truth, and it is life. May it speak to our hearts afresh this morning that our lives may be touched and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. For this morning and the last three Sundays in May, we will be sharing from the book of Daniel chapter 4. Now, we are adopting a slightly different approach. Typically, we would preach sequential sections of verses in Daniel based on the verses in the order in which they are written. This morning, however, I will attempt to provide an overview of chapter 4 and the rest of the preachers will preach on some key themes in the chapter in the last three weeks of May. Now, a clear theme in Daniel chapter 4 is that God and God alone is totally sovereign 
and His kingdom is everlasting. Here it means that God is the everlasting supreme ruler, possessing ultimate supreme power over every ruler, every nation, every authority, every person, and every situation. Now that God is sovereign is a dominant theme in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 4, however, we will see how he is expressly dominant, sovereign, over a very powerful and mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this theme is not new. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, we recall Daniel praising God to whom belongs wisdom and might and who removes and sets up kings. Now, that God is sovereign is also a key theme in the Old Testament. Here are some verses. Job 42, verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115, verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And then there's Isaiah 40, 23, and Psalm 103, verse 19. Yet in chapter 4, there is more than meets the eye that God is totally sovereign and His kingdom is everlasting. Otherwise, I believe God would not have inspired a chapter of 37 verses just to make this one point. Rather, I believe that the 37 verses in chapter 4 tells us much more than God is totally sovereign. They tell us how He is totally sovereign. Now, why is how is God totally sovereign important to us? Well, my friends, actually it makes all the difference. Imagine if God, who is totally sovereign and absolutely powerful, was totally arbitrary, trigger-happy, and a cosmic bully. It would be terrifying. As we explore Daniel chapter 4 this morning, I hope we will see that while God is totally sovereign and absolutely powerful, He has chosen to relate to us in at least three key ways. Namely, that He relates with us justly, he relates with us graciously, and He relates to us redemptively. Now, before we explore these points, let us have a quick overview of chapter 4. Now, for me, I see chapter 4 in at least five parts, and let us go through each of them in turn. Overall, part 1 begins and ends with Nebuchadnezzar praising God in verses 1 to 3 and 34 to 37. This is sometimes called an inclusio, like bookends telling us what is in the middle that supports the bookends. Here, King Nebuchadnezzar, in a royal letter, praises God as the Most High God who rules an everlasting kingdom and who rules as He wills. Come end May, we will see the preaching team share more with us about this inclusio. Now within the inclusio, the middle verses 4 to 33 makes up parts 2 to 5. Part 2 is from verses 4 to 18. Here, Nebuchadnezzar recounts another fearful dream, like what happened to him in Daniel 2. And what is this dream about? It is about a tree that kept growing until it became super strong and beautifully luxuriant. A tree so huge, it was visible to the ends of the earth. Then suddenly, 
a heavenly being appears and proclaims for the tree to be chopped down to its stump. Then the metaphor changes. The stump becomes a man with a psychological disease, since known as Bowen Trophy, where one thinks he's a cow or an ox. This must be the new version then of the mad cow disease. And this man remains in madness for a time of seven periods. As in Daniel 2, the king commands all his wise men to come and interpret this dream, and none of them could not but Daniel. Part 3 is from verses 19 to 27. Here, Daniel interprets the dream for the king. In essence, Daniel confirms to the king that the tree represents the king whose greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and his dominion to the ends of the earth. Now some have noted that this image of a tree is not unusual because in Ezekiel 31 and Hosea, there the nation of Egypt is also represented as a great tree. Now back to Daniel 4. Verses 23 to 25, Daniel explains that the tree being chopped down represents the king driven from his people, contracting bone trophy for seven periods until the king knows that God rules the kingdom of man and declares who the earthly rulers are. Part 4 is from verses 28 to 33. Here, all that Daniel interpreted regarding the dream actually happens to the king when he prides in his own kingdom and himself. God removes the king's kingdom from him and he is insane for seven periods of time, exactly as Daniel had interpreted for him. Part 5 is when King Nebuchadnezzar is restored when he looks up to heaven and reason returns to him as seen in verse 34, part A. Now with this overview, let us now explore how this chapter shows us that God in his total sovereignty chooses to relate to us justly, graciously and redemptively. First, let us see how God relates with us justly. Now, what is justly? What does just really mean? Now, per the Oxford Dictionary, this means behaving and being right morally and fairly and consistently. And we can be assured that God will always be so because he's an unchanging God. Now, chapter 4 shows us that God is just in many ways. First, God tells the king himself the purpose of his dream, which is that all may know that God ultimately rules over all kingdoms as it is he alone who decides who becomes the rulers. And we see this in Daniel 4.17. Second, in Daniel 4 verses 20 to 22, Daniel tells the king clearly, this tree you saw, it is you, O king. Daniel 4 verses 24 to 25, Daniel clearly interprets for the king that the tree chopped down would mean his downfall, where he is driven from his people, contracting bone trophy, until he knows that it is God who rules kingdoms and decides who rules. Here, 
God clearly tells the king that the king's that God's issue with the king is that he does not know that God rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever God wills. I trust we see by now how fair and consistent our God is. That is total and full declaration by God to the king. God tells the king the issue that he has with him, what troubles will befall the king if he does not repent, and for how long the king will suffer in his troubles until he repents. Now, my friends, while we hear that God is just this morning, I'm aware that many of us may be suffering injustices in our lives. This reminds me of a 1998 bestseller, Who Moved My Cheese, by Dr. Spencer Johnson, and this book sold two and a half million copies. Now, this book is a parable of two mice, Sniff and Scurry, and two little people, Ham and Haw, who found cheese at Station C in a maze. Oh, they enjoyed eating the cheese, but one day, the cheese was gone. Sniff and Scurry saw the change and quickly searched elsewhere for the cheese. Ham and Haw, however, argued over what to do and grumbled about the injustices of their situation. Now you may be wondering, how did I come across this book? Well, my boss gave it to a few of us. It was very unnerving. We were all wondering whether it was his way of telling us that we're going to get fired if we don't change. My friends, we see and suffer injustices everywhere. At our workplaces, we see how situations can change very suddenly and unjustly, when one moment you are thriving, the next moment you are barely surviving, and finally you are forced to consider leaving. Often, changes are unfair and unclearly explained, arising from new bosses, colleagues, presented as new strategies, policies, takeovers, circumstances. We see unscrupulous colleagues getting promoted, enjoying pay rises and praises while hard workers are sidelined, silenced, and suffering. People even got fired through Zoom meetings during COVID. We see justices in, in families too. Faithful spouses sometimes are left in deep shock and pain when their unfaithful spouses leave their marriages for their newfound loves in sinful adulteries. In dating relationships, Breakups can suddenly happen through a text message and the ones left behind are totally bewildered. Injustices, they are all around us. The wicked seem to have it good, while the godly are afflicted with tragic situations of serious illnesses, suicidal spouses, special needs children and struggling finances. Amid such perplexing realities, where the wicked are prospering and the godly suffering, we must embrace and trust in the truth that God is just. We must look to God and not man to vindicate us. As Proverbs 29-26 reminds us, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Yet we must trust that God is just and do our best to surrender our resentments 
and angers to God. We must trust that in the end, all will be ultimately righted. That if it's not righted now, it is not the end. Yet, despite the challenge when we are going through injustices, God's justice will not always happen in the time and in the ways we hope, isn't it? As such, let us consider two other ways in which God chooses to relate to us, that he relates to us graciously and also redemptively. God relating to us graciously. We see this in how he deals with an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as we recall, chapter 4 is not the first time King Nebuchadnezzar encounters God. In fact, the king has surely encountered God in increasing doses, either directly or indirectly. Daniel 1 sees the king finding Daniel and his three friends ten times better than all his wise men. In Daniel 2, the king is so impressed that Daniel could tell the king's dream and even interpret it while his wise men could not. In Daniel 3, the king sees Daniel's three friends willing to die for their faith in their God. The three friends emerging completely unscathed from a fiery furnace heated seven times over and the fourth man, like a son of the gods, appearing also in the furnace, walking around the fire. Now, in chapter 4, we see how God in his grace continues to deal very patiently with this evil pagan king. First, verse 4 shows how God warns Nebuchadnezzar through a frightening dream when the king was chilling out at his palace. Second, in verses 7 and 8, we see how God once again shows the king that the, his wise men are useless and only Daniel can interpret the dream clearly and precisely. Third, in verses 20 to 25, which we covered earlier, we see how God tells the king what is God's issue with him, what will happen to the king if he does not repent, and for how long he has to suffer. Now even here, we see that God only chops the tree down to a stump. God doesn't completely destroy it. Yet again, a demonstration of God's grace. Fourth, in verse 27, we see how God even tells the king how he can avert his impending disciplinary judgment when Daniel says to the king, Oh, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Fifth, we see in verses 28 to 31, how God, despite all the king's senior sins to date, still gives him 12 months after he warns the king and only executes his judgment when the king blatantly glories in his own pride. I don't know about us, and I could be very wrong here, but I almost, uh, almost get a sense that God waited until he could wait no longer without doing justice to his justice and fulfilling his word until he executed his just and yet gracious discipline over this king. My friends, we have seen how God chooses to relate to us justly, how he relates to us graciously, and finally, 
how God relates to us redemptively. Now, by redemptively, I'm not suggesting that King Nebuchadnezzar is saved to eternal life. In this context, I simply mean that God restored the kingdom to King Nebuchadnezzar as the king himself declares. We see this in Daniel 4, verses 36 to 7. And here, as highlighted, we must not miss that God added still more greatness to the king in his own words. So much more that the king praises and honours God. Wow! Brothers and sisters, at this point, I hope we now perhaps better understand why evil may still exist in our world today, despite the truth that our God is just. It is not that he is no longer in charge, no longer in total control, but simply because he chooses to relate to us graciously and redemptively. Now this should have itself comforted the Israelites because let us not forget, they were suffering because they had sinned against God. As I contemplate how God relates to us justly, graciously and redemptively, I could not help but recall the journey of my late father. I love my dad and have no wish to dishonour him. Yet objectively, dad was very pagan, very antichrist, and committed many sins and had many vices in his life. Given the way he lived his life, I recall how many times while I was praying for his salvation, I felt hopeless. In the last four years of dad's life, he fell very ill. His sinful lifestyle had caught up with him. His kidneys failed. His heart weakened. He was wheelchair-bound. He needed various surgeries. And very frequently, we were in and out of hospital with him. I recall at one very major surgery, I was walking dad as he was being wheeled to the operating theatre and we were right at the door of the operating theatre. And I asked him, Dad, would you receive Jesus? His eyes glared at me. He perked up and said, No! Imagine, in a moment he was going to enter a life-threatening surgery and he could muster so much energy to adamantly say no to the invitation to receive Jesus. My heart sank. Yet soon after he was back in the wards after the surgery, I received a phone call from our senior pastor, Tan Ke Kyung, who visited him. Pastor KK shared with me, Kirk, your dad has received Christ. Oh, I was utterly shocked for words. And in my stupidity, I asked my senior pastor, are you sure? I think he got a bit offended. He said, of course, I'm sure. <laughs> no, like he said that in a gentle voice, knowing our senior master. I just rushed down to the hospital. I just couldn't believe it. And when I went into the ward, and it's a familiar scene, I saw my dad sitting up, literally with a halo over his head. I asked my dad, Dad, do you remember what happened? When we were at the door of the operating theatre, do you remember I asked you whether you wanted to receive Jesus? He said, yes. And I said, no. I said, Pastor K said you received Christ. He said, yes. I said, what happened? He looked at me, smiled and said, son, I saw Jesus 
at the operating theatre. Doesn't God deserve a clap offering? You know, because of this episode in my life, I always tell all my friends, never give up hope when you pray for your lost ones. Never, never give up hope. Because God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. This is the picture of my father's baptism by our missionary pastor. To God be the glory. You know, brothers and sisters, I could see how God related to my late father justly, graciously and redemptively. Justly because my dad did suffer in his health due to his sinful and unhealthy lifestyle. Yet God was gracious as Jesus supernaturally appeared to him at the operating theatre. Finally, God redeemed dad with the gift of eternal life. We come to a close. I trust that we find great comforts that our God is not only totally sovereign, absolutely powerful, but that he has chosen to relate to us justly, graciously and redemptively. My friends, this God of Daniel has not changed. But I appeal to us, if you are in sin today, repent, take heed, because God is just. But if you're under judgment, take heart, return to God. And if you're returning, take hope. God desires to redeem you. The God of Daniel has not changed. This is seen in how God sent his son Jesus to us 2,000 years ago. Many often ask, why does Jesus have to die such a humiliating and cruel death on the cross? Well, my friends, God is just. Every sin has to be punished. And Jesus took every sin in our lives and nailed it to the cross. Why did God give us one way to salvation, some may protest? Why only one way? Well, my friends, God is gracious. The reality is God could have condemned all of us to eternal death. After all, he gave us his laws to obey and we failed. So if we perish, it is simple justice. Yet God gives us a way to be saved through his son Jesus, who paid the penalty of our sins at the cross of Calvary. We have this way of salvation because God desires to redeem us. For me, one verse in Daniel chapter 4 shows God's heart towards us most loudly. And it is found in Daniel 4.19, which reads, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. Belteshazzar answered and said when the king asked him, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Why would Daniel be dismayed when God was going to punish this evil king who was the public enemy number one of God's people? I don't know about you, but if I were Daniel, I'll be rejoicing in my heart. It's about time, God! that you deal with this evil man. Yet, that wasn't Daniel's response. And I believe it was because Daniel 
represents the heart of God towards us. That he desires to redeem and save us and not to condemn us. My friends, this heart of God is captured succinctly in 1 Timothy 2 verses 4 to 5. And I will close with this. That our God is one who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Let us bow our heads in prayer. God is totally sovereign, yet he chooses to relate to us justly, graciously, and redemptively. Now, if there's anyone here this morning who has yet to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, with all eyes closed, would you raise your hand? God is gracious. He wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem you. If some of us are in unconfessing, God is holy. God is just. Take heed and repent. If you are under discipline for your sins, take heart. Return to God. For God is gracious. If you are returning to God, take hope. God desires to redeem you. I give us a few moments right now to respond to God because you know where you are in your walk with Him. And between you and God right now, be it repentance or returning, I pray and trust and believe that God knows your heart and He will answer your prayer and God desires to redeem you. We pray this in Jesus' name and let all God's people say, Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.